Yeah, I want to dedicate this year uh, to two uh, individuals. Uh, first of all, that this year should be an uh, alias neshama, uh, should provide for an alias neshama of David ben Mordechai, that the schus of this year should put him in a tremendous exalted position in uh, Gan Eden because of that. David ben Mordechai. And the second, uh, that this year should, shall be, should be a blessing and a merit for the health and success of the families of Ruvain Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshaya ben Yisrael, Binyamin Wolf, Ben Tzvi Hirsch, uh, and Baruch ben Binyamin Wolf, that she should also, and the whole family, should be blessed and have an alias Shama Schus in Mazel. There are many things happening at the current time, you know, especially in the United States. And there's a tremendous amount of confusion, really, that's what's happening, in terms of what's happening with the electorate and the elections in the United States. Now, obviously, that's a major concern to many, many people, and so on, obviously. Because it certainly looks like the United States is really headed for a, a, a disastrous type of ending. And the reason for that, even without all the other problems that the United States has, the economy, the debt is phenomenal. And uh, I think they just came out with a report saying that the amount of money that the U.S. owes uh, is not sustainable which means it will lead ultimately to the end of the United States, certainly economically, uh, you see. And uh, believe me, the U.S. wouldn't be the first country to descend and become a third world country. Whatever the repercussions are, uh, you see. But one of the things that really troubles many people is what is exactly happening uh, with the U.S. government and so on but especially Donald Trump. So what I'd like to do is give a sheer about what I see as the reason for the tremendous persecution of Donald Trump, right? Uh, he's been indicted four times, which is astounding for a former president of the United States to be indicted four times is uh, historic. It's off the charts. And he's been indicted four times, you see. And people, really, when they look at it, they just don't believe it. Especially when you analyze a great deal of the charges against them. They don't add up. They don't make sense. You know, I, I, they take a look at some of the charges. They really don't make sense. So you begin to realize, not only that there's no justice in America, and that it's basically a two-tiered system, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and so on. You know, people realize that the whole concept of justice in America is corrupt. They see that. Because people who see the charges against Trump, and they, like I say, they, they don't make sense. And that's even if you don't like Trump. You know, okay, you don't like him, and so on. But in the end, there's still a concept called justice. You know, there is a concept called fair play. Something has to make sense. You may not like a guy, but that doesn't mean you want to put him in prison 
for the rest of his life. I mean, what is that supposed to mean? That's an incredible evil to think that, that even if you don't like somebody, you want to put him away for the rest of his life, uh, you know. So people look at the charges, and like I say, they don't add up, they don't make sense. I'm not going to go into the charges, but uh, anybody who is fair-minded, you know, and is not biased by his view of Donald Trump, sees that the whole thing is a frame-up, it's a setup. And we know the reasons why. Because they know that Trump is going to clean house when he becomes president. They know that. And they're tremendously afraid. <clears throat> but what I'd like to deal with in this year is why do I think, and of course based on the framework of the divine plan itself, why is the Bershom allowing... <clears throat> America to get away with this or rather why is why does Trump have to go through this you know especially when you see the corruption of the DOJ because we realize the entire United States government is against Trump the White House is against him the Department of Justice is against him the FBI is against him right the CIA the <coughs> intelligence services Right? They're against them. The IRS is against them. Secret Service is against them. You know, you begin to wonder, can anybody stand up against the United States government? And I want to tell you something. Even if he succeeds, which I believe he will, but even if he succeeds in defending himself against all of the four indictments, which, by the way, comes out to 91 counts, and each count can be a jail sentence, whatever, even if he succeeds in defending himself, could you imagine the amount of money it costs to defend himself? You see, in fact, that's really what destroys somebody. If you're indicted by the federal government, you know, <coughs> basically, it's horrendous. Because even if you defend yourself and you're found innocent, it costs you a million dollars to defend yourself. So in essence, you go bankrupt. Because the government has unlimited resources. You see? They can go at this forever, so to speak, you know. And you, you run out of money very quickly because lawyers charge a tremendous amount of money and so on. And I'm not even talking about, you know, the money issue with Trump. Uh, but could you imagine the toll it takes on a person's tranquility or mental health that he has to sit and worry about four different charges against him any one of which can put him in jail for the rest of his life, basically. You see. So therefore, you know, we really look at this and we say, I don't understand what's going on here. So we can understand why they're doing this. I mean, obviously they're all evil because the charges don't even add up and it's unheard of to, to uh, condemn, you know, uh, you know uh, a former president of the United States. I'm not even going into the morality of it and the righteousness of it and so on and the dignity of it and so on. But it is something that we certainly have never witnessed anything like this in American history. But I'd like to look at this and try to explain it, you see, from a Hashkofa standpoint, from the standpoint of the divine plan. Does it happen? Does it make sense? And the truth is it does. 
and I want to explain that. Uh, you see, and obviously the explanation lies within the context of who Trump is. And I have said many times, you know, certainly over the years, that Trump is a messianic figure, I believe. He's a messianic figure, not that he's the Mashiach, obviously not, he's a guy, but that he's a messianic figure of Edom, Edom being Esau, and he is a figure that represents Esau. And I've said that who knows how many times and so on, and what his job is. But I want to elaborate now and so on, and then from the elaboration, we can get a much clearer view of what is going on. You see. <clears throat> so, first, I, and, uh, the, some of these ideas I've said before, but in order to you know, properly bring everything into context, I will have to repeat some of the ideas. But listen, Chazara review is always a good idea, especially something so important, and so on, you know. <clears throat> we know that there's a person, his name is Esau, right? And he had a brother, Yaakov, and of course, he is the uh, son of Yitzchak, Yaakov and Esau, and so on. We also know that, as I mentioned before, that Esau is a patriarch, he's an of, just like Yaakov Avinu. And so on, you know. Uh, and his job, and I talked about this in a previous year, his job, in many ways, is patriarchal, which means that he really is part of the Tikkun process. Now, I'm not going to go into that, obviously, that whole year. Uh, that year, I think I went uh, really extensively. Uh, I think the name of this year was the uh, Transformation of Reality in the Messianic Era, which I gave a couple of weeks ago. But in any case, that's who he is, and so on. Now, he obviously rebelled. He left Judaism, whatever. Um, and his father told him, you know, after Yaakov got the blessings, so then he came in and said, you know, what do you mean? Isn't there a blessing for me? And I mentioned that he gave a blessing to Esau. <clears throat> what was the blessing? That he should still be that if Yaakov and his descendants sin, then Esau will be the one to bring a kapora, an atonement, to the descendants of Yaakov, and he will be the one to persecute them, you know, or to make them suffer, in order to have a kapora, which is an atonement. So he therefore is still part of the Tikkun process, although he's in part of the punishment phase, as opposed to the Tikkun phase, or the phase where you do the mitzvahs and so on. <clears throat> In any case, so Esav, what does he do? So Esav leads, uh, uh, you know, he leaves uh, Yaakov Avinu and so on, and they meet, and so on. Uh, now, who is Esav today? So Esav became Edom. Okay, the Torah says, Esav zu Edom, specific posuk, Vayishlach that the Edomites, which is a nation, they are the descendants of Esau, uh, and they are, they reside in, uh, in this, uh, uh, the area of Harseir, which is basically, uh, if I remember correctly, it's around Eilat. It's a southern part of Israel. It's the Negev, and so on, you know. 
And then it says that Edom became Rome. Now I do want to mention that in between, before Rome was established in Italy, there was a nation called the Etruscans. Most people probably never heard of the Etruscans, but they were the forerunners before Rome, you see. Now nobody knows much about the, the Etruscans, but historians believe that the Etruscans were a nation that came from the Middle East, you see. And we know Asaph, obviously the origin of Asaph, is the Middle East, Haseyer. So I believe the Etruscans derive from Asaph, and they went from the Middle East, which is Israel at that time, Canaan or Canaan, whatever, and they moved on to Europe, which is Italy. So if I believe Edomites became the Etruscans, and the Etruscans is what became Rome. In 525 BCE, the Etruscans became, or that's when the Roman Republic was founded. Before that, for the previous couple of hundred years, it was the Etruscan civilization. So Asav becomes Edom. Edom, like I said, becomes the Etruscans. The Etruscans become Rome, which of course took over the entire world, and so on, you know. <coughs> now, what is interesting is Rome did not remain Asav. That's an interesting idea. You see, once Yitzchak gave over the ability or the task of Esau to punish Yaakov and his descendants in order to achieve a kapora, a, an atonement, right? So there was a big problem because it would take at least another 2,000 years. You know, you know, Rome was, let's say, was founded as a nation, Republic 525 BCE, you see, but that would mean that in order for Asav in the form of Rome to do his job, right, he would have to be a, a ruler of the world, right, for 2,500 years, because that's really what we're, we're looking at now, uh, 2,500 years after Rome became a republic, you see, but clearly the Rebunsham did not want that. He doesn't want Rome to be, you know, the head of the nations in that sense for so long because uh, that's what it would have to be in order for Rome to be able to persecute right uh, the Jewish people so what he did what the Rosham did is Rome therefore became a religion you see Rome turned instead from a nation which can persecute the Jews they destroyed the base of and so on and Rome therefore changed into a religion, <clears throat> you see. And that religion, of course, we know as Christianity. That's what they became. And as such, they could persecute the Jews, Christianity that is, for thousands of years. Because a religion doesn't necessarily remain as a nation. There are many nations that can become Christians, you see, which is really exactly what happened. So... Rome became Christianity, and as such, the whole Europe became Christian. So wherever the Jews would go in Europe, that would be called uh, in the territories, right, of Asaph. Uh, and therefore, no matter where they would go in Europe, they could be, therefore, persecuted by Asaph. That's a, a very important concept. Now, 
Christianity itself obviously became part of what's called Western civilization, you see. And what I once mentioned quite a while ago is that Western civilization can be subdivided in three parts. Why? First of all, what are the three parts? So the Soviet Union or Russia is one, Europe is two, and the United States is the third part, three. Because Asif had three characteristics, which I once mentioned. The first characteristic is that Asif is a tremendous min. A min is a apicurus heretic. That's who he is. And of course, we know that Russia is heretical. You know, even though there's a thing called the Russian Orthodox Church and so on. But Russia under the communist regime were complete atheists. They hated religion and so on. So that part of Asa of Russia, communism I should say, is the f- worst part of Asa. The second part of Asa is based on another characteristic of Asa, which is he's a fraud. He's an imposter. He acts as if he's religious or whatever. Meanwhile, he commits acts, right, which are terrible, evil, and cruel. You see, all professing to be tzaddikim. That's Europe. Europe is Christian. But do you know how many wars Europe were in? It's astounding that a religion like Christianity, which they say they preach peace and all that, is guilty of so many wars in Europe. Yeah, there are wars that lasted a hundred years war. Could you imagine a war lasting a hundred years? Like, what is that supposed to mean? How could you fight over something <laughs> lasting a hundred years? You see. So therefore, Europe obviously engaged in uh, a war, and they were really, in many ways, terrible. People used to fear Spain because Spain was vicious in trying to convert people to Christianity. I mean, the Inquisition is only is obviously one of them where they would kill you if you didn't become a Christian. And this happened in many places and so on. In any case, so therefore, uh, that's the concept of Europe. And what that means is that Europe uh, was Christian and it's the characteristic of Asav as a fraud, as an imposter, because they would declare themselves as tzaddikim, righteous people, right? And as a result of that, this is what they would appear as. Meanwhile, they would commit terrible acts of savagery and butchery. Who knows how many people got killed in Europe, right? Based on what? Based on the Inquisition, the Crusades, and so on, or the expulsions. There's so many things that happened uh, as a result of Christianity in Europe. Now, I'm not saying everybody was this, or all Christians were this. I'm not saying that. But there's no question that, in many ways, it was certainly um, aided and abetted by many, many evil people. There were many popes that were part of this, you know, plan to kill the Jews, or to make them suffer. Uh, I don't want to go in, obviously, all the ways that they did that, um, you see. But that basically is the second part of Asaph, where Asaph is a fraud. He's an imposter, you see. And that's Europe. Then the third part of Asaph 
Because Esav is, a, I hate to use the word fun-loving, but Esav is an individual that loves pleasure, materialism, and that obviously is represented by the United States. So Western civilization is really those three parts. It's Russia, it's Europe, and it's America. And that is Esav today, <clears throat> you see? So that is very important, to get a handle on what Esav is, you know. You know, it's interesting when you think about it, you know, Communism, which was the worst part of Esau, you see, in fact, it's so bad that the Muslim only allowed it to exist basically from 1917, right, till 1991 or 90, or whatever, when you had Perestroika uh, with Gorbachev and so on. But it's interesting that the Soviet Union collapsed, or Gorbachev ended it when, what was the date? And I'll never forget, I was shocked. Because I basically, I know, I, I, I know about this. Uh, when did he call the end of the Soviet Union? On December 25th. I think it's 1990 or 91. I don't recall which date. Uh, more than 30 years ago and so on, you know. But wait a minute. December 25th is what? December 25th is Christmas. Right? Basically, that's their origin. That's the birth of their person that they worship and so on, you know. Why? Because communism is really the worst part of Esau. And Esau is fundamentally Christianity, you see. So if it's going to begin to collapse, it did. It collapsed on, I think it was Thursday, December 25th. And I find that to be really, in many ways, uh, incredible and so on, you see. In any case... And we also see, you know, uh, the United States is Esau. Um, and the seat of Christianity, we know, of course, is the Vatican. Uh, that is the seat, and the Vatican, obviously, is in Italy. Uh, that's where it is. So Italy really took over the entire inheritance, so to speak, of, of Esau. You see, Italy, the Vatican, is, is the seat of Christianity. And it took over the entire, you know, uh, culture, basically, of Esau himself. In fact, what's interesting is that the word, the word Vatican, right, if you spell it in Hebrew, and you jumble the letters, Vatican in Hebrew is the same letters as Tikkun, which tells us that Esau had a specific task in the Tikkun process. And we know that ta- what the task is. That task is to do what? Is to bring a kapora to the Jews by having them suffer. In fact, one of the interesting ideas also is that if you look at Italy, it's shaped like a boot. It's famous. Shaped like a boot. And the way Esau is described in the Torah is a boot. The cave Esau and the heel and Yaakov held on to the heel of Esau. So uh, the Torah's description, <clears throat> you see, of Esau is really, besides having red hair, it's a boot, you see? And Italy is shaped like a boot, which is very interesting. And there's always something which, when you think about, makes a lot of sense. What doesn't make sense is why Christianity is in Italy. Because if you think about it, Yeshu was Jewish. So therefore, his place of residence, in fact, that's where he lived. 
should be in Israel or Judea. So why did Christianity make their seat in the Vatican, which is located in Italy? And the answer to that is because Rome, or the Italians, right, is really the inheritors of Christianity, you see. And therefore Christianity, which takes its cue from Rome, Rome, of course, is Italy. Therefore, Christianity, which inherited, right, the concepts of Rome, they therefore are in Italy. Makes sense. Not in Israel or Judea, and so on. <clears throat> in any case, this is what we see, you see. So, as I mentioned, Rome became a religion. So, therefore, the Jews, no matter where they would be exiled, would always be called they would be located in uh, Europe, which is Western civilization, and they would be subject to persecution. So therefore, Esau now becomes a religion which now can follow the Jews wherever they go. any case, that's what happened there. In fact, what is interesting is in Ari, the great Kabbalist, the Ari, says that Yeshu is, was a Gilgal of Esau, which is interesting and so on. So Esau clearly is part of uh, the whole Tikkun process, you see. So that is what Esau is. Okay. Uh, now we know something radical happened. What is that? And that is that, which I mentioned in that year, the previous year and so on, you know. Uh, and that is that um, Esau became two dimensions. Two forms, you see. The first form is the one that persecutes the Jews. And that is uh, what's called Rasha Be'esov. That is the evil part of Esav, you see. So that's one dimension or one form. And the second part is where we read, and I mentioned this, the whole story, where Esav wanted to do tshuva, and he almost did. Had Yaakov recognized that. Then had he given Dina as a wife to Esau, then Esau would have been restored, basically, as a patriarch and so on. I had mentioned this in a previous year. So therefore, that becomes a second part of Esau, or a different form of Esau. You know, which is interesting, that Esau actually split in two different forms. The first form is called the Rosh of Esau, the evil of Esau. And the second form is the Toiv Shebeisov, the good part of Esav, that inherently wants to return and fulfill the passage where it says, the Rav Yavoyitzoir, and the older will serve the younger, you see. So that's a prophecy which must happen. And that means that Esav is destined to do tshuva at the end of time, you see. In any case, Therefore, this is what we see. <clears throat> Therefore, what is interesting in this analysis, that Esav really is two types. One is the bad part of Esav, and the other one is the good part of Esav. But the good part of Esav will only emerge at the end of time. That's when they emerge and so on. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> There is, we, we are now in Parshish Nitzavim, and there's a Haftarah at the end of Nitzavim, which I had mentioned before, 
But we now begin to understand something very unique. What is that? What that is, is the following. Yeshaya Hanavi sees in a, in a prophetic vision. He sees the Rabbanisham on a horse. It's an, it's an image, right? And the Rabbanisham's clothing are all red. Why? Blood. In other words, the Rabbanisham is showing him an image of the Rabbanisham riding on a horse, stained in red blood. So Yeshaya Hanavi gets very nervous, obviously, because that indicates war or calamity, terrible calamity, because you're looking at blood-stained clothing of God. So he's afraid. So the Rabbanisham says, don't worry. I'm not, this is not for anything Jewish. So what is it for? He says, because of the iniquity of Edom or Esau for the thousands of years, what they've done for the Jewish people, right? I crushed Esau. And you use the word crushed. I crushed Esau. And like, like somebody, a winemaker who crushes the grapes to bring out the wine and so on. So I crushed Esau. And the effect was devastating to Esau, and his blood spurted out of his body and has stained my garments. What, so what you're looking at is the aftermath of me crushing Esau for the evil that they've done. That, that's incredible, you know, when you think about that. Why would the Mershom do that? And he did it to Esau, Edoim, because that's who it was directed at. And what does that tell you? It means at the end of time, Edom, Esau, will be crushed. Why? Could you imagine how bad they have to be? That God, that their blood spurts because of all the bloodshed that they've done to Jews. I mean, it's one thing to punish Jews. You know, you persecute them different ways. But you don't slaughter them. And they've been slaughtered for thousands of years. You know, um, I mean, what did Rome do to the Jewish people? What did Christianity do to the Jewish people? And you think about it, right? You have have expulsions from countries, left and right. You know, the famous York in uh, England, where they... they, uh, Tied, not tied, but they locked them in a tower and they burnt the whole tower down. A famous York massacre and so on, you know. But you're looking at expulsions, right? You're looking at crusades. How many Jews were killed in the crusades? Then you're looking at inquisition. Inquisition. How many Jews were killed in the inquisition? I'm not even talking now about, you know, the expulsion from Spain and the havoc that it wrought with the Jewish people, right? Then you're looking at crusades, like I said, and you're looking at, the, you know, the Inquisition and so on. And then you're looking at all the persecutions. You're looking at pogroms. Could you imagine living in a time that you never knew? All of a sudden, they would arouse, you know, uh, the population. Many times it was the priest. Let's kill the Jews or whatever. For whatever reason, Right? Can you imagine living, you know, we feel safe in America. 
you imagine living in a time where you could be killed when your when your worth was basically worthless, you know, and, and so on. So, could you imagine living at that time? So, how much Jewish blood was spilled? So, when the Marshal says, I have crushed Esau, and his blood has splattered on me, right? Uh, that's meter connected meter. That's measure for measure. This is the blood that Esau has spilled of the Jewish people. So, even if they, in a certain sense, you know, brought a kapar to the Jews, but they way overdid it. It was unbelievably excessive, you see. <clears throat> and this is what, basically, what the uh, Christians did, you see. Uh, so therefore you see that in the end of time, from the Haftarah to Nevoah, it's a prophecy of Yeshaya and Navi, right? <clears throat> that Edom will be destroyed, <clears throat> you see. <clears throat> now what is interesting is this. You know, you can ask the question, how bad was the slaughter of Jews by the Christians for the thousands of years, the 2,000 years that this occurred? How bad was it really? Well, let me give you a way of seeing, you know, the reality. I want to dramatize how many Jews were killed. Okay? How many, 2,000 years ago, how many Jews were there in Rome? So historians estimate 10 million Jews. There were a lot of Jews, which is interesting, at the time of the Roman occupation. Fine. How many Chinese were there 2,000 years ago? Chinese? So the historians estimate 25 million Chinese. So there's 10 million Jews, 25 million Chinese. Okay. Now, if you think about it, how many Chinese are there today? Right? And the answer is 1.4 billion Chinese. Which makes sense because people naturally reproduce. And after 2,000 years, you'll have from 25 million until 1.4 billion. Right? So that's 60 times the amount 2,000 years before. Which makes sense. <clears throat> but what about Jews? How many Jews are there? And the answer is 15 million Jews. What? You're going to tell me that in 2,000 years, the Jews went from 10 million to 15 million? That doesn't even make sense. You see, the Chinese went 60 times the amount, and the Jews didn't even double. From 10 million Jews, 5 million extra uh, it's 50%. It's, 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 it doesn't even make sense. So the question, how many Jews should there be based on the normal propagation of people, right? So we see that the Chinese go from 25 million, right, to 1.4 billion, which is a growth rate of 60 times the original. Uh, so if you multiply the same thing, 60, right, so 60 times uh, 10 million, right? Which would be, uh, how many people would that be, right? That would be approximately 600 million Jews in 2,000 years. 
And what's interesting is the Jews are much older than the Chinese, basically. We go back to Abraham, which is 4,000 years ago. <coughs> you see. So could you imagine that today there should be, by normal reproductive statistics, there should be 600 million Jews. So how could there only be 15 million Jews? What does that tell you? Because that's the people that were killed over the 2,000 years. You see, this is all the result of the destruction of the Jewish people. I should say the slaughter of Esau or Edom. That, 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 that's a shocking number, you see. So therefore when God decides, you know, it's one thing, you know, you want to persecute the Jews, which means you want to shake them up, whatever. But you killed, right? So now there's 15 million, it should have been 600 million, right? So that means we're missing 585 million Jews. Staggering, you see. Therefore, the Bansham says, in the end of time, I'm going to crush Esau, and I'm going to spill his blood, you see, the way he spilled the blood of my people. That's how bad Esau has been to the Jewish people, you see. In any case, so what do we see? That the Rebunsham is going to go after them. But we realize also, this is not all of Esau. This is the Rosh Esau, you see. But we also realize that there's a part of Esau that ultimately will restore themselves to doing good to the Jews, you see which means to assist them at the end of time. <clears throat> this is what we see, like I said, that there are, two, uh, there are two dimensions or forms of Esau. Very important. And we realize that <clears throat> when the Bansham says he's going to crush the, the uh, Esau, it's going to be the Rosh of Esau, the evil of Esau, you see. And and uh, the and not the the good part of Esau. In any case, so this is so far what what, what we see. What is the truth of Esau, really? What does it come to? So the truth of Esau is two things: one, to assist the Jews in terms of advancing the messianic process. Israel, and we see what Trump did. And obviously Trump is the good part of Esau, because that's really what his job is, and so on. But Esau has to assist the Jews, not only in helping the Jews, but they themselves are selected to destroy the Rasha Esau. See, that's the interesting part. They themselves will destroy Esau in his form of being evil. So what the Russian will use, and they really therefore will be his agent, you see. It's not that the Russian is going to crush Esau directly. The Russian doesn't do that. But he's going to assign or designate another people that will destroy the evil of Esau. Who are they? The good part of Esau. So you can actually have the ultimate war of good and evil Esau against Esau, you see. And that's really 
what we're seeing. So that those are the two major jobs of the good part of Esav, to assist the Jews, which was Trump has done, and to destroy the evil part of Esav, you see. <clears throat> now let's take a look at what's happening in terms of the history. And we now can have a focus much clearer and then you begin to understand what is going on. I've said, like I said many times, that Trump is a messianic figure. He's a Mashiach of Edom, not the Jews, but a Mashiach of Edom. He's the Tev Shebeisov, and that's exactly <coughs> what he has done. Right? What has he done? He has assisted the Jews. It's incredible how many things he's done for Israel, besides making Jerusalem the capital. Right? And the Golan and so on. But he has interfered with the UN, right? He has withdrawn support from UNICEF and so on, right? And he has kicked out the Palestinian consulate or whatever from Washington, D.C. He has done so many things in the service of the Jews. And one of the greatest things is that he has begun the process, right? He has begun the process of this, of uh, helping the Jewish people, you see. In any case, so far, this is what he has done, right? Now, I'll tell you something very interesting. They have brought four indictments against Trump. And those four indictments are 91 counts total. What we have to remember, there's something else, you see. And uh, you know, what, what do I mean? Those 91 counts, uh, if you add up all the prison time of the 91 counts, comes out to 713 years. So that's the potential maximum, right, of the amount of prison time that Trump is looking at, right? Four indictments, 91 counts, a total of 713 years. What is interesting about the year 713, right, is that that's the gematria of Tshuva. The gematria of Tshuva is 713. <clears throat> what can that allude to? <coughs> what that alludes to is the following. What the Mershom is going to do, he's, he just doesn't designate somebody. Because in order to have that merit, right, of warring with Esav, the evil part of Esav, and assisting the Jews. What about all the evil that Esav has done? And it's not just the evil of the evil of Esav. Even the good part of Esav, they've had their heyday, and so on. So they have to atone for what they did. So what the Mershom in many ways has said, you, Trump, have to bear the iniquity of the Tev Shebeisav. And that's really what's happening. Therefore, Trump has to go through his kapora. You see, he has to go through his atonement process. Because in many ways, he bears the iniquity. He represents the good part of Esav. And they have been guilty of a tremendous amount. But what the Moshe wants to do is that they have to have a kapora. And I believe that's why he's suffering so greatly in order to have what's called a tshuva, because 713 years is <coughs> gematria tshuva. 
In other words, Trump bears the sin of the good part of Esau, you see, and therefore that's why he's suffering so great. Because Esau, the good part of Esau itself, needs, you see, it needs a, uh, a kapara for what they have done, you see. So that is really very, very important, you see, in terms of what Trump has to go through. And I believe that's why he's suffering so greatly. Because as a messianic figure, right, as a messianic figure of the good part of Esau, they have to have a kapara. They have to have an atonement for what they've done for the thousands of years. You see, that part of Esau, like I say, needs a kapara, you see. And in many ways, if you think about it, look at what's happening to Trump. What's happening to Trump is exactly what Esau has done to the Jewish people. Think about that. Okay. <clears throat> One, they have slaughtered the Jews, like I just pointed out, right? There should be 600 million Jews, and meanwhile there's only 15 million, right? So they have killed an enormous amount of uh, Jews. So therefore, he also, Trump, has to be, in a certain, figuratively, slaughtered. They have criminalized Jews over the thousands of years. They have <coughs> accused them of all kinds of crimes, you see. So therefore, Trump has to be criminalized. All of this is mida keneged mida, you see. Not only that, the Christians have disgraced the Jewish people with their anti-Semitism they have disgraced the Jewish people. I mean, they look at a Jew like a cockroach. That's what the Nazis held. The Jews are not even human. They're insects. Imagine what kind of disgrace that is. So therefore, Trump has to feel the disgrace. And he has been disgraced, <clears throat> you see. Not only that, Trump is mocked. Well, they mock the Jews. The Jews are the laughing stock, right? You should go through a whole village just kill all the Jews or all the other things that they force Jews to do, right? Therefore, Trump becomes a what? He becomes a laughing stock. How much money did they cost the Jewish people? And so on, right? The loss of income, the loss of the economy. And therefore, Trump has to lose a tremendous amount. Because remember, uh, and I think the ultimate disgrace, you know, is that Trump, how to take a mugshot? Would you believe a former president of the United States has to go in front of a camera and take a shot as, as, a, as a criminal? I mean, can you get any more disgraced, degraded, right, as that? You know? I mean, I, 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 you know, I wonder, what did he think when he's the former president of the United States and he's got to sit there taking a shot as if he was a low-life Criminal, you know, and he's got to take this. I mean, this guy is, uh, he's always been treated as, you know, elite and special, and, uh, you know, where, where he associates himself with the rich and so on. And meanwhile, he's they're, they're acting to him as a common criminal. I don't think you can get more disgraced 
and he got by the mugshot. But why? Because that's me to connect and me You, you meaning Christianity, right? The evil of Asaph has disgraced Jews. They have been the laughing stock, mocked, disgraced for two thousand years. And like I said, Trump bears the iniquity because he's the one who's going to destroy the evil of Esau. And that's exactly why they hate him. They'll do anything to stop Trump, obviously, because they know, you see, that if Trump becomes president, as they say uh, in English, their goose is cooked. You see, they're finished. Because all of them basically... All of them have committed felonies, and he's going to go after them, but not only for revenge, because of what they've done to the United States. I mean, the amount of calamity that they've introduced, the amount of corruption, the amount of uh, not just corruption, but the amount of evil and, and immorality and so on, what they've done to this country is beyond measure. Uh, you see, I'm not even talking about the things that they've done. Uh, you know, the crime is rampant and the energy crisis, the border of illegals. Then you have the migrant crisis that's destroying cities, New York and so on. Then you have shoplifting. You have Afghanistan. Uh, it's just beyond belief what they have done. <clears throat> so therefore, you see, therefore, uh, Trump, in a certain sense, has to go through this as, as a, the representative of a, the good part of Esau. So in a certain sense, before he can carry you know, the burden of assisting the Jews, he has to have a kapora, not necessarily because of his own private life, maybe a little of that is included, but certainly for the kapora that the good part of Esau needs in order to be atoned for what they've done to the Jewish people. And this is what we see. You see. So when you think about it, he has done uh, this incredible uh, suffering. I mean, could you imagine what he thinks about, you know, before he goes to sleep, what he's going to do to those guys, and so on. And Trump is not a guy that forgives very easily, you know. He's not a guy you can cross and think you can walk away and nothing's going to happen, you know. When he becomes president, he's going to use the entire office of the presidency to wipe them out. <clears throat> you see, all of them. And of course, I refer to the Democratic Party. Because the Democratic Party, the liberals, the progressives, they are the evil of Aesop, you see. <clears throat> and there's also other ideas you know, we don't realize the evil that they have done to America and the entire world because the, uh, America is a beacon to the entire world. They have corrupted. I, I'm not even going into the transgenders, uh, the abortions, you see, and uh, the LGBTQs and so on, you know. They have demoralized. They have made, you know, immoral the entire concept of America. And not only that, the whole insanity of you have to be careful what pronouns. This whole woke philosophy, you know, I, I would say this is not a woke philosophy. It's a wake philosophy. You know, to, it has turned America into a dead body. 
uh, what's the Rabbi Hashem going to do? What he can do, right, is he can wait until everybody's dead, and he could take his revenge or his, uh, <clears throat> you know, payment back uh, in Gehenna and so on, but he's not. Because that Haftarah that you see from Yeshaya is that it's going to happen at the end of time, not after everybody is in, uh, you know, in another world in Gehenna. Uh, you see, and he's going to do it not directly, he's going to do it through a shliach, because God always does it through a shliach, a messenger, an agent, that's going to do his will. And his will is because of what the evil of Esau has done to America and consequently the entire world, he will utterly destroy them. And I believe Trump is that individual that has been picked to do the job. But like I say, before he can do that, he himself has to represent what Christianity, the evil of Esau, has done to the Jewish people. You see, so we are coming up to times that we've probably never seen before. And right now things look like, you know, evil succeeds, right? And is tremendously victorious. But we're heading into a time when the whole thing will reverse, you see. And in, in a certain sense, you don't even want to be around when God's judgment will finally enter, you see, and, and go after all these people. Because remember, which I once said, people don't understand justice. Justice is not only if you're the perpetrator of a crime, but if you are in some way part of the chain of events that has led to the crime, you are guilty, and you will be punished based on the amount of contribution that you made to the ultimate evil, whatever that is. You see, so, I mean, if you think about, you know, how many people in the government of America that do evil, and therefore they contribute to ultimately evil being done, but they're part of the, what's called a causal chain. You see, they will be punished in proportion to the contribution that they've made. And they don't even understand uh, what's going to happen to them. I mean, take classic abortion. You see, you know, does the Supreme Court even understand what abortion is? It's infanticide. Do they understand that you could murder what murdering an infant right up to the time of delivery, birth and so on, <clears throat> right? Of course not. Or well, how could they ever do that? Like I mentioned, does Joe Biden understand that if one American citizen dies from fentanyl because he opened up the border, right, and you have all the cartels pushing fentanyl, does he understand that when that father who is grieving for his son, when he utters a terrible sigh, a, a sigh of agony and grief that he's now looking at his dead son because he died from an overdose of fentanyl. Why? Because the cartels were able to push it in because they opened up the border. But wait a minute, Biden's job, and he's, and he's transgressing American law. Because his job is to shut the borders. Does he understand that for every second that this father has an agony looking at his dead son, does he understand that he is held guilty and he will suffer for that one second of agony? 
Forget about the fact that 140,000 people have died because of fentanyl, right? And what about all those people, right? When he shut down, uh, and because he shut down the energy, the inflation, when a person also all of a sudden looks at a budget and he realizes, you know, I don't have enough money to pay my bills this week or whatever, you know, and all of a sudden that person becomes frightened because he doesn't know how he's going to live. Pay his rent, his mortgage, whatever, right? Uh, but wait a minute. Who caused this nonsense, right? Who caused this? Biden and his economics, or Bidenomics, whatever they call it. Does Biden understand that for every nanosecond of pain, agony, and anguish that you cause somebody, you are held guilty for that second? That's what justice is. You see? No, of course they don't. Do any of these people, does the DOJ understand what God is going to do to them because of the unbelievable justice that they do? What do they do? Do you know what it is for a country to bring a mockery of justice? Everybody laughs at the DOJ. Instead of, you know, on the contrary, contributing to the respect of the law, you see? Why do you think the Torah calls a judge Elohim? Because judges stand in the place of God. Because law, dinam, right, is the fundamental aspect of the entire civilization. That's how what God created in terms of this world and so on. So when you make justice into a mockery, you see, because everybody sees the whole thing doesn't make sense, right? They see it's a two-tiered. But that means you've made what's called a log, a mockery of justice. You have any idea what kind of punishment the person will get? And we're talking about 330 million Americans laugh at the law. They laugh at, they, nobody, they, they don't respect the government. They try to milk the government from everything they can get. But they don't respect the government because they see what it really is and so on. That means they are held responsible for that attitude that Americans have, you see. We do not understand how far justice goes. And in many ways, it's frightening to think about that. And in the end of time, when God's judgment finally comes, you don't even want to be a hundred million miles next to them. That's how bad it's going to be and so on, you know. You know, it says there's a saying, the millstone, you know, they used to have this huge stone that crushes wheat to remove the chaff from the kernel. So it says so they used to have this gigantic wheel that used to they used to throw the wheat and this wheel would go over the wheat and crush it. It's on. It's called a millstone. So they used to say that the millstone of God grinds exceedingly slow. That's true. But exceedingly fine. When it does get to the wheat, boy does it crush it and so on. And therefore, people do not understand the extent or how far-reaching justice is because that's what God represents, justice, you see. So it doesn't make a difference to you if you were not directly involved in causing somebody enormous pain. If you were part of the causal link, you see, you will be held guilty for your contribution. So could you imagine the contributions that the government makes in the present day administration and so on toward the agony and grief 
of an average citizen I mean especially talking about today you know you know um, it, it's just beyond belief people do, I, I'm telling you it's just incredible people do not realize the calamity that's going to take that's going to capture them when justice finally is exposed and revealed and allowed to transpire uh, therefore this is basically what seems to be happening is you like I said Esau is divided into two you see and we see what God is going to do to Esau which is in modern form it's Christianity of Western civilization for what they've done to the Jewish people you see you know we see what's going to happen and so on you know there's something which is interesting you know in the year 2000 by the millennium so there was a pope that went to visit the wall the castle uh, I forgot the name but uh, he was a pope and this was in the year 2000 and that's unheard of that's the first time in history that a pope has gone to Israel and actually went to the castle so I remember I thought about that and I said why is he doing that I mean Judaism is the opposite in many ways of Christianity so why would he go to the Kaisal in, in, in a certain way and sort of like acknowledge the authenticity and the authority of the Jewish God it's an interesting question uh, because it was an incredible departure from what a Pope should be doing no Pope in the history of the papacy has ever gone to Israel in, the, in that sense but Israel in the sense of going to the Kaisal uh, which is a distinctive Jewish holy site I thought about that and I realized why because Christianity has a major problem and they have never solved it because when you look at the New Testament not that, not that I'm recommending it but if you read the New Testament clearly Yeshu said to the disciples you see or the apostles whatever you want to call them right he said verily you will see the kingdom of God clearly in his mind right uh, he expected that there would be a tremendous uh, redemption gula right in their time so they don't understand where is the guy where is he for 2,000 years doesn't make sense because when you read the New Testament the New Testament clearly says that he's that Yeshu is expecting the redemption to begin the king as he calls it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and so on in his lifetime and in the lifetime of all the apostles or the disciples or whatever right uh, so that's a major problem where is Yeshu for 2,000 years like I said because according to the New Testament clearly he was supposed to come right Yeshu was supposed to usher in the kingdom of heaven then with the Romans and so on so that's a major problem so therefore they had to obviously uh, create a theology where there's a concept of a second coming right he's got to come again obviously he didn't come the first time but when you think about it what's second coming it says clearly that he held that everybody's going to see the redemption in his time all the disciples and so on you know mm -hmm. so they had to invent 
or Paul, whatever, whoever did it, and so on, that there is a concept called the second coming, you see, which really is not authentic. It doesn't say anywhere that he's going to come a second time, in the sense that the first time will fail. But what's the problem with that? So I believe, and this is a personal belief, that the Pope at that time, in the year 2000, right before the millennium, right, he went to the Kaisal. Why? Because he's suspicious because of this problem. How come he's never come? You see? And you don't want to immediately think of the second coming. You want to know why didn't he come when he said he's going to come, right, and bring the redemption, right, in his lifetime. <clears throat> so I believe he tried to figure out the answer to that. <clears throat> so I believe that what he thought about as a possible answer is that he believed that the Christians overdid it. Because everybody knows the Jews are the children of God. It says that. God calls us. He says he loves us. He says we are his children. Fine. So even if you believe that there's a concept called the replacement theology, which means God replaced the Jewish people, instead he picked the Goyim, whatever. Even if you believe that, okay, but how do you kill Jews for 2,000 years? Where do you get a right to butcher the people, Jewish people, because even they admit, the Torah says, that they are the children of God. How, do you, how would anybody think that God feels, right, uh, when they are massacring the Jews? So I believe he felt, and it's my belief, that he felt that maybe that's why Yeshu never came. Because they overdid it. Hey, you can't do this to my kids, so I'm not bringing the Redeemer based on them. So I believe that's what the Pope believed. And that's why he's never come. But they believe that the millennium is a propitious time for him to come. So he went to the Kaisal, you see. And I forgot the exact wording of his prayer. But I believe he was hoping that he, was, he, he apologized. And he did. I think he did apologize. He apologized for the slaughter of the Jewish people, the persecution, for 2,000 years. Why? Because I believe he felt that that's the reason why Yeshu never came. <coughs> so even he understood that you guys overdid it. You know, you want to disagree with them or you feel that they're wrong. And there's a whole concept of what's called the replacement and so on. That the non-Jews replace the Jews. Whatever you want to believe. But that doesn't entitle you to destroy, to butcher, to slaughter the Jewish people. You know, okay, so they don't accept it. Therefore what? So let them go their way, or if you want to persuade them, do it in a gentle way. But you can't kill them. Mass slaughter, like I just indicated with that statistic, 585 million Jews should have been around. Of course God's very angry at the Christians for what they did. So I believe that's the reason why, you know, why he went to the Kaisal. And he's the only one in history that ever did that to somehow, you know, uh, placate God with a prayer saying that we're sorry we destroyed them. And as we overdid it. How do you do something like that? In any case. Uh, so therefore, like I said, you know, they have a problem. You see, Christianity has a monumental problem. And there are other problems. How do the Jews inherit Eretz Israel if they're supposed to be in exile for their entire lifetime, for the entire exile and so on? Whatever, without getting into Christianity. Uh, but I, I believe that in the end of time, which is very important, 
the Rav Hashem is going to destroy, crush, and splatter their blood, as the prophet Yeshaya says, you see. But he's going to assign this to the second dimension of Esau, who is Donald Trump, which is interesting. But Trump, in order to accomplish this, right, has to go through certain requirements. And I believe that's why he's been so degraded, because that's exactly what the Christians have done to the Jews. The ultimate degradation, mockery, you see, slaughter of the Jews, criminalizing them and so on, see? Uh, And that's to enable him to be God's agent to destroy the other part of Esau, Christianity. And we are seeing it now. Because whenever, every day that passes, there's always something very interesting going on. You see, there's always something that goes against Biden, which is interesting. You know, they said uh, Trump took documents which he had no right to and the illegal. Well, guess what? At least he was president and he can decommission the documents, right? Biden took it as a senator, which was illegal. Biden committed a true felony by taking documents as a senator. And even as a VP, he wasn't allowed to do that. So it's almost like God is doing things to almost ensure a victory. And I get a kick out of the fact that they made the first date, March 4th, I think it is, the day before the what's called Super Tuesday or something like that, Super Tuesday, where there's 15 states primaries. But how foolish can you be? Why? Because... You don't want to remind what happened to Trump, the injustice of what the DOJ has done to Trump, right? You don't want to remind people, so on the contrary, they're going to get very angry, right? And they're going to vote for Trump. So this judge, uh, which is incredible, actually makes the day before Super Tuesday when everybody's going to be reminded because the court starts and it's going to be, be covered by every reporter in the universe, uh, you see. So it's going to bring to the consciousness of the entire American people the injustice of the Department of Justice and that Trump is a victim. And then the next day they vote. Say, but why are you reminding them? You see, uh, this is all Minashamayim, I believe, you see, <clears throat> that is going to ensure a victory of Trump over and so on and uh, of course uh, many things look at the migrant crisis in America it's hard to believe what what New York City has become I mean just beyond belief what New York City has become that the migrant crisis they don't know where to put them you see and it's billions of dollars I mean it's lunacy that's really what it is it's hard to believe that grown adults can act so stupid to invite people in that you have no resources in order to do that. So that's going to remind everybody that these guys, these Democrats, are destroying New York City. That's what it does. So each one of these things is a nail in the coffin of the Democratic Party. It's incredible. And every time Trump is indicted, right, he goes up. I think now he's 60% or something like that. And even DeSantis is like down to 13, whatever. And they, they, and they don't know what to do. They think that Trump is going to lose to Biden. I don't believe that can be at all, because I believe that Trump is the person that's destined to wipe out the Democratic Party, the evil of Asaph. In any case, so this is a understanding 
uh, a possible understanding of what is going on. But there's no question that the next year or whatever, we are going to be seeing things in America that's going to boggle the mind in terms of what's going to happen, you see. And the truth is, really the truth, people have made a tremendous mistake. Of course it's important to have character. But what's more important is to be competent in the ability to be, you know, okay, you don't like Trump, fine, okay. That's him, that's his nature and so on. But what he did was incredible. He's probably one of the greatest presidents in U.S. history in terms of the economy. Everybody had a job, you know. Everybody was afraid, foreign, to do anything. He, he rescued the United States from so many bad deals and so on, you know. It was great. I mean, I think the inflation rate was like, what, 1% or 2%? And now it's what? Now, but before it was what, like 8, 9, 10%, so on, you know. Um, so uh, th there's no question that uh, tremendous things are going to happen, you see. And in, 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 a year, in a year from now, there are many things that will, will, will happen uh, to advance the whole process of, uh, of redemption. And I believe we are in the middle of it, you see. And uh, the truth is, I believe that, uh, that Trump will win and he will save America from, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's dissolution because America is dissolving quick and so on. Any, in, in any case, and so on. So it's really fascinating to see how the Russian is going to solve the problem of Esau by having Esau destroy Esau, which I believe is what's going to happen. And these are nothing more than basic job requirements in order that for, the, for that to happen.